55, two minutes, unsportsmanlike conduct. You're listening to Tomb for Unsportsmanlike with your hosts, Kevin Wabshaw and Ryan Foise. Kevin and Ryan drop the myths and talk about the latest news, rumors, and games around the NHL. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Two for Unsportsmanlike. Like, as always, I'm Ryan. He's Kevin. We have a couple NHL stories we want to talk about, and then we're going to dive into our halfway picks of the season. Uh, we are, well, most teams have played over half their games now in the 56-game condensed and shortened NHL COVID season, but let's start with some NHL topics first. One of the biggest ones in the news in the last week is the ESPN deal for broadcasting rights in the United States. Uh, it's been confirmed that ESPN has won the bidding to be the top broadcaster in the United States. It's a seven-year deal worth uh, rumored to be around $420 million per year. This, the last time ESPN was the leading broadcaster for the United States was back in 2003, 2004. Uh, one of my favorite jokes that's been circling around right now is the last game that was broadcast on ESPN for NHL was the 2003, 2004 Stanley Cup final, Calgary versus Tampa Bay, where Daryl Sutter was the coach and the Flames lost uh, 2-1. <laughs> now they're going to be returning next year. and. Surprise, surprise, Daryl Sutter's the coach again. So I wonder how many fans will be like, holy shit, Daryl Sutter's been a coach for the last almost two decades. <laughs> yeah, but good for him. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, what do you think about the ESPN deal there? Uh, I mean, it's huge for the NHL to get, you know, it's a lot of money that will pump into the into the league that will go into the revenue. Uh, I, it's kind of weird that we get that deal pretty close to when they were. there's rumors flying around about a flat cap. Which is interesting to me because I'm kind of thinking that it, it's almost time. I guess this year's cost them a lot of money, but the flat cap is going to be interesting for a lot of the free agency things. So we can get into that another time. But huge for the NHL in uh, in the United States to get back onto the ESPN platform. Uh, it's I would imagine the biggest platform in the U.S. for sports. So uh, we'll help hopefully grow the game even more. Um, it, 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 lots of money, really good, uh, look for the league here. So I'm looking forward to seeing it, uh, seeing the broadcasts on ESPN moving forward. Yeah, that's, it's really true. It's a good deal for the league. I think, uh, the one criticism you might see often from a Canadian standpoint is how knowledgeable is ESPN really on hockey and how much have they catered to hockey fans in the past? And the answer is really not that much, uh, as we've seen, uh, in the past, they've let go of some of their. Uh, more recognized hockey writers like Pierre Lebrun, who have then obviously come back to Canada and work for TSN. So interesting mm -hmm. to see who they'll have covering games, what analysts will bring in, and how they're going to approach this. Uh, because uh, one of my favorite actual joke segments that ESPN aired once this was announced was Stephen A. Smith, who's uh, well known in the basketball and football uh, highlights did a segment on top five things he knows about the NHL and <laughs> some of them were pretty questionable. So hopefully mm -hmm. we can get some, uh, well, some analysts that know the game. Well, some folks on the ESPN side that give us that fair coverage that we deserve, obviously doesn't impact us as much in Canada, but assuming that NHL goes back to normal next season, we will see some of these broadcasts as Canadian teams will begin to play American teams again. Yeah, I mean, it'll hopefully open the door for more people to get involved with the broadcasting, like rights and stuff like that with the NHL. I've said for a while that the NHL really needs a color guy like Tony Romo. The best and the closest thing we have, and, and my personal favorite color commentator in the NHL is Ray Ferraro. And he's he's up there. He's he's really, really good. His insights are fantastic. And he was a good hockey player, so he knows the game. And it, he's got really good knowledge and all of that but we, we just need that like maybe one or two more of like the ray ferraro level or even better like a tony romo you watch him when he's broadcasting nfl games and the way he's calling out plays before they happen and stuff it's it's really fun to watch so maybe this will open the door for someone like that to kind of come in and and be that guy for us but we'll have to see for sure 
If I can give ESPN credit for one thing, though, uh, I do love their theme music. If there's anything that gets me excited for a football game, it's the do 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 do. So, yeah, that's uh, it's one thing they've got that down for sure. Uh, other story out of the NHL in the last week: uh, Jack Eichel from the Sabers is out for an undetermined amount of time. Announced by Ralph Kruger the other day. Man, the Sabers have been a train wreck this season. It's been brutal to watch. They do seem to have a lot of talent on that team, a lot of good young players, but they can't seem to bring it together. Um, Rasmus Dahlin, a couple seasons down the NHL, he's starting to look like he might be a bust. Jack Eichel mm. should be one of the best centers in, in the league and just hasn't either got the support he needs or has given up on the team. Jeff Skinner, you never know what you're going to get from him, but he's definitely not worth the contract he has right now. And outside of that, um, they've had some COVID issues. It's just been an absolute train wreck of a season for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. Yeah, 2021 is a year to forget for a uh, Buffalo Sabres fan, especially after the the run that the Buffalo Bills went on. It's it's too bad that the Sabres couldn't have built off some of the, the momentum that they've made for them. But uh, I'm going to counter your point with Dalene being a bust. Uh, that That's just not true. He... He is a puck-moving two-way defenseman that is like the elite of the elite that you need for now. And he's being asked by from his coach, from everything that I've gathered, I, I cruise through the subreddits a lot to kind of gauge how fans are reading, how the teams are playing. And one of the main takeaways I've seen from, from the Buffalo end is that uh, Ralph Kruger seems to want to try and make Rasmus Dalian a stay-at-home defenseman. And... Whether that's trying to teach him to be better in his own end or not is debatable. But the the main thing is when you've got a player with that kind of talent and that kind of ability, you don't make a leopard change their spots. It, it You take what they're really good at and you make them excel at that while also trying to groom their other properties. You don't make them sacrifice what they've been good at since they've been a child from what I'm assuming with these guys. And forget being good at offense. Now you're just playing defense. So uh, Rasmus Dalin is a guy that any team in the league would be lining up to try and acquire. As I assume the Jack Eichel sweepstakes that I think are about to happen will also be like that. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's coaching in Buffalo. I don't know if it's just, they just don't have the right fit with players. Jeff Skinner's, typically usually a lock for like 20 to 30 goals, right? And he's been horrible. Uh, riding the bench, $9 million a year. Uh, Jack Eichel, I think, is currently playing his last season as a Buffalo Sabre. And I feel, I, I do genuinely feel bad for, for Sabres fans that they're going through this because it's been, you know, a, a hot minute since that team, that team has been relevant. Like you, you look back and you're like, yeah, they had, they were pretty solid in like the, the Vanek and Palmonville years and, and so on and so forth. But they were the last time I would say they were a true threat to win anything was, you know, Hasek was in that. So uh, Ryan Miller, I'm going to stop you there. Ryan Miller Sega. I they did make a couple runs in playoffs there. So they made a couple runs, but like, I never really got that feeling from those teams. Like they had the Ryan Miller era, like I said, with like the Vanek and Palmonville teams, like they were, they were good, but they always felt like they were missing something. If that makes sense. That Sabres team that, that Hasek carried, like I, I thought he was just going to win the Stanley cup by himself. I, I remember <laughs> ni- no, 1999 when they lost to Dallas, I was convinced because they were, they were crazy good. Like I, I remember watching them and they just dominated the Leafs in a playoff series. And I was like eight years old at the time, but I'll never forget it. And I'll, I'll always, I had a hatred for the Buffalo Sabres that grew from that playoff series. I didn't really care for, like I, didn't, I had no really opinion of them one way or another before that, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, and yeah, just after that playoff series, I was like, Oh, I hate the Buffalo Sabres so much, but, that was the last time I felt they were like gonna win the cup. I was like, oh, this is like this is like a Stanley Cup team. Like they they had some really good teams uh, in in the Ryan Miller era where they they looked really good, but I, I just they always were missing one or two things. Like they were they were always solid. I think Derek Roy was their 
their top center and Daniel Briere was there and stuff. They had some really good talent on the Sabres, but they were missing just some element that was holding them back. And they just weren't that they needed that next level. And if they had just gotten that one step, they could have won. And Ryan Miller was terrific for them for a long time. And that feels like an eternity ago, doesn't it? It does. I still can't yeah. believe Ryan Miller is playing in the NHL still as a backup in Anaheim. That blows my I, mind. I forget I about like, that all the time. Yeah. I, I always think that, oh, maybe it's some other prospect that's playing behind John Gibson now, but nope, it's Ryan Miller and he's still getting his share of starts too. So it blows my mind that he's still uh, an NHL goaltender in his 40s. Right? And it's just like, yeah, yeah right. Ryan Miller is still like playing and, and not like he's obviously not to the same level that he was. 10 years ago or, or whenever it was the, the Sabres were crazy good, but it, it's crazy to think that he's actually still in that. So it's fun though. Like good for him. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's really the, the kind of news out of the NHL this week. So we're going to talk about now, uh, now the league's the halfway point. Most teams have played either 28 or more games. So halfway through their NHL season, we're going to talk about the individual awards and who we project will win these awards at the end of the season so we've each taken some time and written down who we think uh will be that person for each individual award we're not aligning it to any specific division uh we're just aligning it throughout the nhl uh we know that it's kind of tough to do that with no inter or cross division games but we're going to work with what we've got the other part to that is at the end we're going to talk about our surprise teams who have um, surprised us in a good way so they've they've been an effective good team or teams that have surprised us in a bad way they've definitely underperformed so let's start off with the heart trophy the heart trophy is the mvp or the most valuable player to that team in the league who's contributed the most to that team in the league it doesn't have to necessarily be by points or by goals uh, it's just that player that's made the most of a difference for their team kevin who do you have for the heart trophy this year Ah, the easy vote is Connor. Like it really is. McDavid is the easy, easy one. So I am gonna not go Connor McDavid. I have Patrick Kane as my Hart Trophy winner at the moment. Um, Patrick Kane has forty-one points this year, which is eleven less than McDavid. However, Patrick Kane is playing with a significantly worse supporting cast than Connor McDavid is. He's been absolutely fantastic this season. Uh, some incredible highlight goals between him and uh, his. Linemate Debrinket. Uh, I, I think Patrick Kane so far has been my MVP if I'm picking one guy. He doesn't have a dry sidle. He doesn't have a Marner. So that, you know, as much as I love Matthews and McDavid, he, he doesn't like those two have that, that second guy who are just incredibly talented that helps him along. Kaner hasn't really had that benefit. So as of right now, if I had to pick someone, I'd probably go with Patrick Kane. Right on. Great choice. And he's having quite the season. People are a little bit yeah. shocked to see him back at the top of the standings, uh, even in the back half of his career. But just a reminder of how amazing of a player Patrick Kane truly is. I am going to take the easy answer on this one. My answer for Hart Trophy is Connor McDavid, even though, yes, he does play, spend a lot of time playing with another top five player in the NHL and Leon Dreisaitl. 51 points in 52. However, 52 points in however many games they've played is just absolutely outrageous uh even if with the extra help that he gets there's still not a player that comes within the ballpark of Connor mcdavid there's some players that well, maybe maybe they come close and maybe they like give a bit of a threat here and there austin matthews is can sometimes be mentioned in the same conversation but still mcdavid's just in a league of his own it's unreal and without mcdavid edmonton is in shambles they're battling for a playoff spot maybe uh, where with McDavid, they're comfortably in one right now. So that's my answer for the Hart Trophy. Uh, we're going to move on to the Art Ross Trophy now. Art <laughs> Ross Trophy is for the most points at the end of the regular season. I have a feeling we picked the same guy here. <laughs> I have a feeling we did too, but let's go through it. Kevin, who do you got? It's McDavid. He's going to, uh, McDavid is going to flirt with 100 points. I'm not sure if he gets there, but. He's going to flirt with that 100-point mark, and in a 56-game season, that is unheard of. That is Gretzky-Lemieux numbers. So it's incredible to watch this guy play. Matthews, I think, had a chance to be right there with him, but his wrist injuries really slowed him down a little bit in terms of points. But 
man, oh man, this this uh, this drive for a hundred that that McDavid is on is is quite special. And you know, there's there's been a lot of people who are trying to cut him down. You know, U.S. fans will yeah, he only has to play Canadian teams, and and he has dry side illness that and the other thing. But at this point, he's the undisputed best player in the world. It's for flashes close when you've got the uh, the other guys that can kind of approach him but then he just turns it on again and he takes off and it's it's incredible his separating power and his his ability to just be better than everyone at a flip of a switch he can have like a pedestrian effort where you know he doesn't score a goal he, he looks dangerous like mcdavid looks like he's going to score every time he has the puck and i would It'd be interesting. I would put like money on a pro line that he does hit a hundred. Like I'm that confident in that guy's ability. So it, it's McDavid, and it's it's gonna be the the McDavid Drysaddle one two, and then it'll be interesting. You know the the Kane Marner Matthews Shifley and Huberto group that are all right behind that. They'll all have lots of points this season, but I don't think anyone else is flirting with a hundred the way Connor is. So yeah, and I won't hold it back any longer to. Just get that confirmation that yeah, I did pick the same person, Connor McDavid. <laughs> yeah. I think this one. I think you're actually pretty crazy if you pick anybody other than Connor McDavid for the Art Ross. The only thing that's going to stop him from getting that trophy is an injury, and so yeah, it just blows my mind that if this were an 82 game season, it's within like easily within the realm of possibility that he hits 150 points, which is just yeah, insane. Like like it's it's within reason that he could hit 160 points the way he's playing and like yes it's harder to do over the full 82 than it's going to be over 56 but that's a realistic possibility is that he is he is can currently pace for two points a game that is a level we have not seen in decades so it absolutely incredible it's it's quite something and oh boy if if Edmonton, it looks like their defense has been turning it up lately too. So Edmonton just becomes that much more of a threat just because of that elite talent. I mm-hmm. think they're finally starting to figure out how to support Connor McDavid. It's reflecting in their recent play. They're actually off to quite a good season. So, wow, just just blown away. It's just in if, terms of if speed. If they can and- fix that depth, if they can fix that bottom six depth, they are swiftly going to become the best team in Western Canada. They could, you could argue in Canada, depending on how Toronto plays, like it's going to be those two. And I mean, I feel like I've been saying that for 10 years, but it's, it's finally coming to fruition where it's like, yeah, Toronto and Edmonton are going to be the two powerhouses of, of Canada and possibly of the league. So it's, it's fun to watch for, you know, fans of, of the Leafs and the Oilers, but as a, just a general hockey fan, I, I've seen McDavid play live twice and good Lord, like it, it's the speed, the way he reads everything and the way he can do everything at a top speed that is faster than any other player is incredible to watch. And it's, it's an absolute treat that we get to, we're going to get to watch this, this kid's whole career. So we're really, really lucky with that. Yeah, very fortunate and hopefully stays healthy and has for the most part, except for one of his earlier seasons. But let's get on to the Rocket Richard. I think we're going to have the same one here too. But see, we'll see if I get a surprise. I'm, I think I know who you're going to pick. Let's hear it, Rocket Richard. <laughs> most goals at the end of the season. I had to get my homer vote in somewhere, right? So yeah. uh, it's, it's Matthews. He He's the best five versus five goal scorer. He's got a damaged wrist and he's still putting goals in the net. It's Matthews. He will undoubtedly over time here, over the next few years, take over the mantle of goal scoring leader in the NHL from uh, Alex Ovechkin. And I think he's going to be safely at the top for quite some time. He is, if McDavid's the best generational player, Matthews is going to be the best generational goal scorer. And just like from a pure goal scoring standpoint, and there will be like McDavid and Drysdale in their own right have a lot of goals. They're they're four and five goals behind them currently. But Matthews just can score from everywhere. He can score in every which way. Twenty one goals so far this season. He he's got to be. I don't know. I think he's the smart pick 
like money pick for that. He's got 21 goals in 26 games. Yep. He is. Oh, it's stupid. Like he is realistically on pace for 40 goals through the 56 games over 40 goals. And I would not be shocked if he hits it. And that was with him spending some time out with a a wrist injury or a nagging wrist injury. I do have Matthews on my rocket Richard as well. I don't think anybody's going to catch him barring if that wrist starts to bother him again and he has to sit out some more games, then maybe it opens up for Connor or Leon to take a step or track that down. But uh, in a healthy season, Matthews is going to take this one. I am also just blown away by his ability to score the, and from anywhere I, I look at, he's really well known for that kind of half clap or one timer that Mitch Marner likes to tee up for him. But mm-hmm. other times, uh, you look at just his skating and, and his puck control too. And I look at the overtime goal he scored against Winnipeg two games ago. <laughs> that, that backhand shelf is just, whew. but it's just like, how do you do that? Like I've been playing hockey since I was five or whatever it is. Like I've, I've been like in some way, shape, or form, being like handling and playing the sport in some form for as long as I can remember. And like you, you watch this guy, and it's like, how the hell do you do that? Like that, the ability to pull the puck through the guy and then the quick backhand over and top corner, it's, just, it's insane. So, it, yeah, it's the smart money. It, it's Austin Matthews. He's the best goal scorer in the league. Uh, treat to have the guy. And I, I think by the end of his career, barring him leaving, he'll be the best leaf ever. So, yeah. Yeah, very possible. He takes that mental. All right, Kevin, for the next three awards, I'm actually going to, Pick mine first. You've got to go first for the first three. I'm going to go first for the last three. Uh, We're going to talk about the Norris Trophy next. So best defenseman in the NHL. I'm going to use my homer pick on this one. He's got the second most points of any D-man in the league. He also has 11 goals in the season. Jeff Petrie from the Montreal Canadiens is having a hell of a season. And oh, on a bargain contract at just over $6 million a season. Could easily fetch 8 or $9 million on the open market right now the way he's playing. He's been the best Montreal Canadian on the team that season. Uh, the only defenseman I put up there with him right now is Victor Hedman. That's who I think the other vote could possibly go to. But yeah, I, I think this is Jeff Petrie's. If there's an opportunity for him to win a Norris, it's this season. And just like the that. goal scoring. He had one last night against Calgary. Wrist shot yeah. off the post and in. He's got that wicked wrist there. He doesn't have the, the big clapper like the Shea Weber does on Montreal Canadian, but he just brings it in, kind of gets it close, and just lets off like a hot wrister that just seems to fool goalies every time. Well, the the clapper's dying though. Like it's with the traffic and stuff that you get in front of goalies and things now. Like the the slap shot's not near as effective, I think, as like a, a well placed wrister. Like it's harder, yeah, but it, it's not as accurate. And, you know, you, you had guys who perfected it. Like, you have, like, early career enough. Like, Brian McCabe comes to mind as someone who did. Al McKinnis. Like, the slap shot has its place. If you really want to just drive it, then the slap shot's there, and it's not going anywhere. But most of those, like, elite teams, like, and I'll get to mine. Hedman's my pick. Uh, but you don't really see him use the clapper a whole heck of a lot either. He's got a really hard, heavy, but accurate wrist shot that he puts in the net. But he's just so smart. And Victor Hedman, and I think the thing that separates him from kind of the rest of the field is his his brain. Like, he's got that size, he hits, but he also is just incredibly smart, uh, great stick, and he's just brilliant with the puck. Awesome power play quarterback. He is some – he's a special, special player to watch and the best defenseman we've seen since, I would argue, probably Lidstrom. Victor Hedman's yep. incredible. Like he, he's he's fun to watch. Like he he's a huge behemoth of a man, but just the way he handles the puck, it's it's so deft. Mm-hmm. Hedman's my guy. Like he's my pick for sure. Like I, I had a second pick. I was gonna throw Aaron Eckblad in because he's having a hell of a season himself. Quite the bounce back because he's had a couple disappointing ones, but I, I don't know. It, it, Hedman's the guy, and I think it's not. I don't know. Petrie's given him a run, and I think that's the they're they're two of what will end up being three finalists. But I think Hedman will probably end up winning out. Fair it's enough. hard to I, I don't think I don't think Jeff Petrie is scoring twenty five goals, 
or 22 goals. Like, I think his second half, he'll probably slow down a little. I don't think he's going to – I'm not saying he's going to crash to earth or anything like that. I think he's playing at the level that I think he's earned. And But you don't often see defensemen peak at 32 or, or 33 years old. So I don't think that Petrie keeps up his point-of-game pace. I think that we have our young superstar defenseman in Colorado who's going to storm in and make a case for himself. But – yeah, Hedman's going to be my pick for that one. For sure. And it's not a bad pick. Hedman's been oh. one of the most elite defensemen in the past better part of a decade. And yeah, Ooh, I, I do yeah. think that Kel McCarr is going to come in and he's going to be the, the defenseman to beat in terms of Norris Caliber playing uh, going forward. But at least while Kel McCarr is getting his footing in the NHL, and that's not a slight to Kel McCarr. He's already an amazing defenseman. Uh, this is. Uh, I would say Hedman's trophy to lose. I did lean towards Petrie just for the homer pick, but I would hey, say it's you get trophy one. To lose. You at least you get, one get one in our awards, yeah. right? Yeah, of course. Right. Mine was the easy one. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you did have the easy one. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, we're gonna go to Vesna now, and this one I'm gonna go with a little bit off the board. I'm gonna I picked a goalie that's currently injured, but before injury was playing absolutely outstanding, uh, playing the best hockey of his lengthy NHL career. And if he's able to come back soon and keep up that caliber of pace, Peter Mrazek of the Carolina Hurricanes. He is number five right now, currently in save percentage, number one in goals against average, and has just been a star for them. Carolina has slouched since he's been injured. He has been a large part of why the team has been successful in the early part of the season. Peter Mrazek's my pick, and it's a little bit of a surprise one because he's had a bit of a lengthy NHL career. He had a stint with Detroit. He's passed around. He was battling for the net there with James Reimer. It's he's had quite the career, but this season, just out of nowhere, he's picked it up and been outstanding. Who do you have on the Vesna side? Mark Andre Fleury. Highlight real saves, the best numbers of his career. He is currently rocking a 9.35, beating Andre Vasilevsky by 0.001 on the save percentage. But I think Fleury's been a little better than uh, than Vasilevsky this year. Vasilevsky's unbelievable. Tampa Bay is pretty spoiled in there. We can get into their little cap game. They're playing with uh, with Kucherov's contract later. But uh, <laughs> Vasilevsky's incredible, but Fleury, I think, deserves it this year. They brought in... Uh, who did they? Who was the other goalie in Vegas? Why am I blanking here? Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard. They brought Robin yeah. Leonard in. Thank you. And uh, you know he, they brought him in to to play probably what they expected to be the starter. And uh, Fleury has been just incredible. He's fourteen five and zero. He's got a one eighty one goals against average and a nine thirty five save percentage with four shutouts. He's 36. <laughs> That's exceptional, especially for that age. He's 36 years old, and he's having the best year of his life. Like, good for him. He is Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, I still look back, and I'm like, man, I remember at the time going, no, do not give up Fleury. Keep Fleury, get rid of Matt Murray to the Penguins, and <laughs> I, I'm going to just call that I was right on that one. Um, Fleury is, has been actually one of my favorite goalies for a really, really long time. He, he's always been just consistently really, really good. He, you know, you had a lot of seasons where he was in, you know, 915 to 920 range, which is, you know, the upper echelon of goaltending in terms of consistent points or consistent stats, I should say. But I was going to take the easy way out and go Vasilevsky. It really was, but I just... My vote goes Flurry. I think Flurry's been better. And do you think he's got I, the chip on his shoulder with with Leonard? Uh, there was a lot of rumors during the off season where he was going to get traded, shipped out, um, and then of course Leonard announcing that he was taking time away from the team. So with Flurry now resuming the starting role, do you think that chip on the shoulder has kind of impacted his play and and wanted to make him reach an elite level again? Not to say that he wasn't elite before. I think Marc-Andre Fleury was 
I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'd go with, yeah, chip on his shoulder for sure. But Marc-Andre Fleury is so competitive and always has been. He's been such a battler his whole career. The save to win the Stanley Cup a few years ago against the Red Wings comes to mind where he just slides across and makes that huge save. Like, Fleury's always been this clutch, like, comes up with the big save when you need him. Basically the anti-Frederick Anderson, as if you will where he comes up with this huge save just right when you need him to. And and he's always had that quality about him that's been so, so, so fun to watch. And, like, technically solid. His positioning's great. But his athleticism and his battle are just so, like, far and beyond most other people. So, no, Fleury, I, he for sure, I think, is is playing with a little bit of, uh, of a chip on his shoulder. You know, you're like, oh, you bring this guy in, give him a contract, and, you know, you think you're going to get rid of me. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> so, no, good for him. Like, Flurry, I, I think, yeah, a little bit of a, a chip on his shoulder. But even when Leonard played, you know, like 3-1, and one, but he's under 900 and 296. So, flurry has been the guy in uh, in Vegas, and it's not even remotely close. There you go. We're down to the final individual award. We're down to the Calder Trophy. I think that realistically, there's only two players in this conversation for the Calder Trophy right now. I have a player that has been a tremendous help to his team. I think his team has beat the expectations this season because of his efforts. My Calder Trophy is Kirill Kabrazov. Patrick this week. 10 goals, 13 assists, has played outstanding. It's been a long time since Minnesota has had a young forward to be excited about or just a, a good goal-scoring forward. When you think of Minnesota, and especially in the last couple of decades, they are the definition of mediocrity. So for them to have a young forward come in, and now Minnesota has been a top-10 team this season, that's just just unreal. And the only other player I put in even the realm of of closeness uh, is the new rookie goalie in Chicago, Lekkonen. So <laughs> yeah. the, uh, who do you got, Kev? Uh, I also am going to go with Kaprizov. He, um, he's a little older than, uh, than the draft class, which a lot of people are kind of trying to use to slight him, but I don't think that that's a big deal. I think that, you know what, if you're having an exceptional season in your first year, I don't care how old you are to an extent. If you're 33, uh, okay, maybe not, but, you know, he's 23 years old. He He's absolutely incredible to watch. And he's completely revitalized the, the team in Minnesota, which is, yeah, like realistically, it's like, eh, you know, yeah, they're there. Like the Minnesota Wild is like that team you think of where it's like, they're going to finish anywhere from 6th to 10th and you're not going to notice them. Like that's been the Minnesota Wild for as long as I can remember them. Aside from like when they first started, drafted Gabrick and were terrible because they were an expansion team. So, yeah, yeah, I, it, I think it's got to be him. He's completely jump-started an offense that was pretty stagnant. They were stale in Minnesota. They were, you know, run by, like, Kevin Fiala, who's got a lot of points, or got a lot of talent, I should say. I don't think he's got a ton of points this year. Um, but they were stagnant. They were just kind of there. They were a team where it's like, if they're going to beat you, it's going to be 2-1. It's a boring hockey and this guy's made it really exciting. And it's really actually, this is the best player, I think, like best offensive player that the Wild have, have been able to put on the ice since, I mean, probably prime Gabarik, hey? Yeah, I would agree with like, that. Like, I can't really I can't really think of, like, like they signed Parise, but he hasn't really been worth the contract by any means. Suter has, but... We could debate yeah. about that, too, because, well... A lot of players get paid for what they've done, but not what they're going to do in the future. And that's another whole debacle right there. And I think Parise fits into that, get paid for what they've done and hope it carries on. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it didn't. Um, yeah, no, this is a huge win for Minnesota. I feel for their fans because they haven't had a ton to be excited about over the last couple of decades. They've made the playoffs. They've maybe won a couple of rounds, but really, yeah, a haven't, couple rounds. really haven't got to a point where anybody's considered them a true contender and so for them to get a a young forward even if it is even if he is 23 still a young guy um still 
very early in his career, and if he's able to keep contributing like that, that just gives uh, Minnesota Wild fans that much more reason to stay tuned to their team. He he went the Panarin route, hey? Like it, it's it's kind of smart. These guys that are are getting Russian players, I, I think, let them marinate a little more in uh, in the KHL and and see what you got with them, and then and then bring them over when they're a little more comfortable. I think it helps. Cause then they can kind of learn English. They can learn culture and stuff on their own time. And they're not as culture shocked when they're brought over as an 18, 19 year old and thrown into the NHL. I think that that can actually like, go a long way in, in acclimating a player to, to the NHL and to North American style. Cause it's, it's a very different world. So it's yeah. uh, I think that he really benefited from that the same way that, uh, that an Artemi Panarin would have. Speaking of, he actually came back this week. Yeah, that's that's right. He did. Uh, New York yeah. Rangers did announce that Artemi Panarin is back with the team uh, and will be rejoining the team for the season going forward. So glad to hear that um, there's no other news stories that have come out yet as a result mm-hmm. of um, what had happened previously around the kind of Russian political interference that was caused by that um, KHL coach making comments against the uh, against Artemi Panarin and spreading what we believe to be right now is is a rumor about Artemi's conduct over a decade ago, which, I mean, if you're digging that up from a decade ago, either it didn't happen or... Well, he was, what, just, 17? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, the, well, there's never an excuse. Not to, to make an excuse. Like, like I'm, yeah. not, I'm not trying to say, oh, it's okay, but, yeah. you know, it's like, don't, I don't know. Yeah. If you're bringing it up now, it probably didn't happen in the first place because... Now you're just looking to try to stir something up because you don't agree with somebody's viewpoint. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that too. So, I do want to give an honorable mention on the, on that Calder race to Lankinen though from the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, the goalie there, nine one nine save percentage, two point seven two goals against average, ten four oh, four record. Revitalized that team, and all of a sudden it looks like even without Jonathan Taves being in the lineup this season, looks like. Chicago Blackhawks are once again a competitive team and will make a push for a playoff spot. And you never know with Chicago Blackhawks because if they get in a playoff spot, they do have the weapons that they can be a instantly competitive team well, and make a push. They're they're one of those teams. I remember the first like one of the first episodes we did, we talked about who is benefiting from the divisions the most. Man, you're looking at it now, you're like, it's probably the Hawks. Like you got a failing team in Columbus. You got a failing team in Nashville. You've got a, I don't know what Dallas is supposed to be. And then the Red Wings are just horrible. Like they're almost going to just make the playoffs by default. I mean, they're going to probably have to play the lightning, which is not a great sentence, but they, they're realistically, they're a play, probably a playoff team this year. The Chicago Blackhawks, that, that kid Lankin in has been incredible. Like, what a breath of fresh air for them. And, you know, they're not, they, they have Kane lighting the world on fire, and Debrinket is incredibly talented. And what a guy to learn from, from Kane. But Chicago looks uh, looks like they're, they're finally on the upswing, uh, which, I mean, a couple years down. So, not really. I mean, it's weird for me to say finally because they were. Yeah. How can you really say finally when? In the last they decade, were so good. And they won so three long. cups. <laughs> it's true, but it's just that feels like so long ago now, doesn't it? Like it, the, the 2010, the 2014, like it, it feels a long time ago now. And the, the Blackhawks are a very different team than they were when they were winning cups. They're the guys that they still have there. They've only got a couple guys left. And, you know, Duncan Keith is quite clearly on the twilight of his career. And uh, who knows if Jonathan Taves is ever going to play again. And, and Kaner obviously still lighting it up, but that's just because he's incredibly talented. But you've got this new generation of Blackhawks that are coming up that are they're pretty exciting to watch. They're they're fun to watch. They're not uh, not the same team, but there's a lot of talent on there on that roster that can that can compete. You go not wrong there. All right, for our final categories of the uh, episode, we're going to talk about the surprise teams. So. Surprise best team, surprise worst team. Let's start with the surprise good teams. Uh, you go first, Kevin, and then I'll share mine. 
I was going to pick Minnesota. I really was, but I, uh, I don't think I'm going to. The My surprise uh, good team is the Florida Panthers. They have taken a $10 million goalie that has been playing not great and turned it into a what was supposed to be a backup goalie in Dreger, who's been playing actually quite quite well. They probably have two of the most underrated players in the entire NHL on their top line. Jonathan Huberto has 32 points in 27 games, and Barkov right behind him at 31. Really, really good team. Uh, the the goaltending there, Dreger's given them 240 and 920. So that's, you know... That's good numbers. And Bobrovsky, you know what? It's 295 and 905, which isn't great, obviously. He's also 11 and 2 and 2. That team is playing so well for him. They're winning games that he should be losing, and they're winning them for him. Uh, they, they've got Carter Verhage, who from Toronto to Tampa Bay, now to Florida, is 20 points in 27 games. Aaron Eckblad's up to 19 points, and he's been playing the best hockey of his career. Uh, mind you, he's shooting at 12 and 12.3%, which should drop down back. His career average is a little under that. But it's just it's a solid team. They're playing really good hockey. So my my surprise good team, I'm going to unfortunately defer on the, the Minnesota Wild, although I did pump their tires a little bit. But uh, it was another team's turn, and it, uh, Florida Panthers are my surprise good team, tied with Tampa Bay for first. That's it's outstanding. I don't think anybody had them there, and they did have a hot start right out of the season. We talked about it. We didn't know if it was sustainable, but looks like it is for them as they're the halfway point in the season and they're at the top of the standings. My surprise team was also going to be the Florida Panthers, but because I want to shake things up a bit, I'm going to pick another team. I'm going to pick the Winnipeg Jets. Mm. The Winnipeg Jets are currently... When we talked about them at the start of the season, actually, I'll start there first. We had them as a team that was on the border of maybe they'll make the playoffs, maybe they won't, but mm-hmm. we're not too sure. We had them around that four or five spot in the North Division. Uh, They're currently 17, 8, and 2. Hellebuck, Brassois have both been outstanding in terms of goaltending. Mark Shifley is having a hell of a career, or sorry, well, hell of a career too, but hell of a season, 34 points. Yeah. I think he's been really good. Uh, Four points back of the Toronto Maple Leafs for the top spot in the division with two points in hand. It's not. We I still do think the Maple Leafs are going to win the division, but it's not as uh, safe and sound as they might have hoped with Winnipeg right on their tail. Yeah, they don't have that ten point lead they had at one point, right? Yeah, that's what happens. Like the thing is, Winnipeg. There was a lot of talk. I'm gonna sound like a homer here, but I don't. I don't want to come across as a homer, but like as a logical person who can look at both teams all top down. There was a, a poll and like a lot of people were commenting and, and some of the analysts were actually going with this is that the Jets have a better top six than the Leafs. And that's just not true. It, like I, as much as people could say, you know, I hate the Leafs and I think that their top six is overrated, whatever, but there's no, like Matthews is better than Shifley. Marner is better than Wheeler. And then it just continues down that path. And but the huge difference here is that Toronto has got Frederick Anderson, who's clearly still regressing. Like the last two seasons, he's regressed. So he's getting worse. And Connor Hellebuck is probably the best goalie in the league right now. So I think that's where our big difference is. Because like you look at the teams on just purely on paper, and you're like, yeah, yeah, Toronto's probably better. But then you look at net. Hellebuck has been incredible this season. He is one who... You know, he could challenge for the Vesna if, like, Fleury and Vasilevsky weren't having monster seasons. But that's the big difference there. And then their backups, like, the, Toronto's backups have been actually fantastic. But Brassois has been really good as well. But when you get that starter who's giving you those quality minutes, and he was, like, he's making crazy amounts of saves. He's got great numbers. He's a fantastic goaltender. So, like, good for him. But... That's the big difference, and that's where the Jets scare me. Like that's if I'm being honest, if I'm looking at this as who do you not want to play in the first round? Like we all know, Toronto is prone to their collapse, and you know they're kind of like, in, oh yeah, maybe they will do it again. The Jets are scary. They're deep. Yeah. They, they've got talent on the team, and they've got a goaltender who, like, his numbers aren't mind blowing. He's twelve and seven, two eighty one, nine eleven. It's not. 
But to be fair, Earth he's shattering. also he's also faced the most shots in the NHL. Yeah, six hundred and fifty shots. Next closest, John Gibson at six thirty nine. Uh, then it comes back from there. So like the way, like, yeah, when good. you're shelled like that every night, you're expected to. Uh, you're not going to have the most elite numbers in the league, but to maintain like still good numbers while facing the most shots in the league, that's mm-hmm. huge props to Hellebuck. Uh, I do think that they are a surprise team because I do think they are overperforming. But I, I still, so um, at some point, they may regress to that. Uh, well, I think they might actually, if they don't continue to, to creep up on Toronto for that spot, I still think they're a lock now for number two in the division. I don't know Edmonton if they're locked, might. man. Edmonton's tied with, well, they have the same amount of points, but three more games played. But yeah. I, I don't know. I that that battle for the two, three, four in in the Canadian division is going to be, it's going to be really tight. Like you've got, yeah. like realistically, the only team that's probably well, Ottawa's out of it. They're nineteen points through thirty games. They're not even a they're an afterthought at this point in terms of actually competing for a playoff spot. But, you know, you got 36, 36, 31, 29, and 28. So Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal, Calgary, and Vancouver, respectively. All of those teams could realistically challenge. Vancouver is starting to slide, though. They've got three more games played than Calgary, four more than Montreal, and four more than Winnipeg. So I would argue that they're in the worst spot, obviously, out of the group. Calgary, Calgary with, with the closing change. We'll, we'll two see. regulation wins against Montreal, who they're chasing. Those are big yeah, wins. Huge, Those are four-point games. Yeah. Two points back, game in hand for Montreal, though. But two points back on the Habs, that's that's huge. Calgary, you know, underachieved pretty hard at the start of the year. But, you know, that's that's big for them. And then Edmonton, you know, they've, they've turned it on pretty hard lately. Toronto's kind of slid a little bit, but I think they, they'll get their footing back. And then Winnipeg, I think, is... You know, you look at them on paper; they're probably the best, the second best team in the Canadian division. Nope. All right, let's talk about the surprising bad teams in the NHL. I'm going to yours is first. I'm the first one here. I have my team went to the Stanley Cup Finals last season in the mm. COVID Cup. However, they're under 500 to start the season. They haven't played quite as many games as other teams because they did have that. Uh, COVID shut down at the start of the season. However, they are not performing the same way they did in playoffs last year. Dallas Stars don't quite have that same winning identity that they did uh, when they played Tampa Bay and made that run and, to be honest, just demolished the Western Conference when they went on their playoff run. Looks like they are regressed back to a kind of of middle-of-the-pack team, but even they're below that right now, 8, 9, and 6 record. Can't seem to string any consistency together. It's been a rough start for them. Who do you got? Oh, Buffalo. <laughs> it's the Sabres. Like, I, I thought they'd at least be like, all right, maybe they'll challenge for, like, middle of the pack in that division. Mind you, it's a really tough division. But they have 16 points. They have six wins. 58 goals for, 88 goals against. They won two games at home. Their last 10 games, they're 0-8-2. The Buffalo Sabres are a joke at this point. So they're, I thought they'd be like a 500 team, you know, Jack Eichel carry them with like an 80 or 90 point pace in a regular seat, like regular year. But Skinner would maybe rebound and score 25 to 30 goals, like pace. And I don't think he would actually score 25 to 30 goals on a shortened season, but it's the Sabres. They're minus 30. They're, there's no fight in that team. They just signed Taylor Hall, who's been completely useless for them. I, I feel bad for their fans, and that is for sure my pick for the biggest disappointment and the, the surprise. Like most, it was just surprising. It's surprising how bad they are. Yeah, it's there's, true. I don't think a no lot of people point. had them in that top lottery spot right now. I think that that conversation was always between Ottawa and Detroit and Buffalo has, uh, they have not been good. It's been brutal. And we think back to the, we talked about it last week, but the Taylor fall incident of that breakaway <laughs> yeah. is the perfect summarization of their season. They have the tools that we think 
they should be able to at least be somewhat competitive and they just seem to collapse on themselves. There's just there's there's no good points. Like there's no there's no uh light at the end of the tunnel. There's no like bright spots or silver linings for this team. They're just terrible in all facets of the game right now. You know, like Rasmus Dalin is minus twenty four. Taylor Hall's two goals. Like there's there's nothing. Jack Eichel is I think three goals. They're uh, yeah, it's, I don't know what you do even do to try and fix the Sabres because there's just so much so many problems in that team. Yeah, it's it's outstanding when your leading goal scorer is Sam Reinhart with eleven goals on the season. But you have the other players at the talent level you have. That's a uh, oh boy, and you yeah, have um, Curtis Lazar who has more goals than two thirds of the team with four goals on the season. Like, <laughs> remember Curt- him? Curtis Lazar can barely make a roster on most NHL teams, and ninety percent of them. Curtis yeah. Lazar is probably a, just a good AHL player. Which sucks to say. I actually really liked him in junior, but yeah, Curtis Lazar's. Linus Ulmark has actually really good numbers for them in net. 12 games played, 5-4-2 and two with a 9-19 save percentage. But, man. Jake McCabe, I think he's hurt for the year, right? He's done? Uh, I'm not sure on that one. I'm pretty sure he's done for the year, or he's out for a significant amount of time, I should say. Uh, Sam Reinhardt, yeah, 19 points. He's leading it. Ugh, man, that's a bad team. The other Rasmus, Rasmus Ristolainen. I always liked him as a defenseman, but uh, you can tell that COVID and his timeout really slowed him down this season. And of course, he was on the wrong end of that Matt Barzell highlight reel a couple of weeks ago. But typically, <laughs> a, a good two-way defenseman uh, now not playing well. Well, Just, he, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's okay. He he was. Uh, he gets a little overhyped, and and uh, like so I I watched I've seen my fair share of Ristolainen and highlights over the seasons, and I've watched a lot of games he's played just because of the divisional rivalry and stuff, right? But yeah, he uh, and I think isn't he leading their D in points? Oh no, Dalian is, but yeah, he's yep. yeah eight points minus ten. Yeah. That's a that's a dumpster fire in Buffalo, and I hope that they can hopefully somewhat figure things out. For sure. Well, Kevin, that yeah. brings us to the topics for today. Any final comments you want to get in before we wrap things up? Uh, nothing for now. No, I think uh, I think we covered everything we wanted to today. So there you go. go. We'll we'll see you next week. Back for some more NHL topics, and we'll have to take a look back towards the end of the regular season and reflect on these uh, projections and see how accurate we were. Yeah, some were confident. Safe. <laughs> some of them are pretty safe when you talk about Connor McDavid again, barring injuries. That's a pretty safe bet to make in terms of point races, but yeah, uh, we'll we'll see on those other uh, awards for sure. Well, to everybody listening, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, I guess well, you'll be here on this Monday, so enjoy your week and take care, and we'll see you next week.